Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. As we continue the Battleship Week, we're rolling with such great leaders. I ask retired Rear Admiral Paul Becker if I could share his keynote with our listeners, and he graciously accepted. Paul talked about what makes for a successful leader and his journey from the battleship to the boardroom. Paul, good to have you here. Great to be with everybody. Hello, shipmates. You are in the right place if you've been thinking about How do I find opportunity in this crisis to improve my leadership skills that'll help dominate my market? Uh, But if I could bring the camera back to me first, please, Kara. Before we get to Battleship to Boardroom, I'd like to ask three quick questions. Uh, How many of you have ever been inspired by great leaders? How many of you have been mired in mediocrity because of milquetoast leaders? And how many of you have been demotivated or disincentivized because of toxic leaders? Uh, I'm a yes for all three. Uh, It looked like many of you were as well. And because of that, I'd like to share the secrets between the difference of those type leaders that I learned when I was in uniform and how those secrets can improve your business's return on investment and the bottom line. I share this with you as a speaker and executive coach because I have a passion for improving performance, both at the individual and at the corporate level. And as a member of the C-suite network, I'm driven to improve our results because as we say in the Navy, a rising tide lifts all boats. I have a few slides to emphasize some of the key points this afternoon. And if it's okay with you, now, Carol, let's go to that first one again. Thank you. I'm glad this is called the Battleship Forum because I am a proud battleship sailor. I served aboard Battleship Iowa in 1984 for a Caribbean operation. And then again, 20 years later, when I was promoted from commander to captain on board the battleship Missouri in Pearl Harbor. That's Missouri off of my right arm in that photo. During those assignments and a dozen others over 30 years in peace, crisis, and combat, I listened, learned, and was honored to lead large, diverse teams. Along the way, I documented three military lessons that were core elements to the most successful teams that I was either a part of or that I watched from afar. And those three elements have tremendous applicability to the private sector, and they are teamwork, tone, tenacity. And I appreciate if you bring the camera back to me now, uh, Kira. I'm going to talk about each of the three T's, but I'll start with why just three. There are so many leadership lists. uh, I don't know where to begin at times. Covey has seven habits. Uh, For those fans of history, Marcus Aurelius's meditation includes 10 characteristics of a great leader. General Colin Powell has uh, 13 leadership tips. John Maxwell's got 21 irrefutable laws for leadership. I have all those books. They're great. They're earmarked in my office. I just have trouble remembering items number four through 19. And cognitive studies have proven that the human brain is wired 
for a sweet spot of remembering three, right? Lights, camera, action, earth, wind, fire. On your mark, get set, go. You get the idea. And in today's Facebook friending, Twitter tuned, LinkedIn looking, obsessed world, I wanted to come up with a framework that was short, actionable, and memorable. And I've seen it work in body armor in a faraway battle space, in a suit in a boisterous boardroom, or even sweatpants if you're working from home in a pandemic. If we can go to the next slide, please, Kara. In the military, a leader's clear, actionable, memorable guidance is called commander's intent. It's known and understood by all those seeking to achieve a common goal. T3 was always part of my commander's intent. I'll show you how shortly. But the key takeaway here is that commander's intent is closely aligned with a business plan. And that's why I'm emphatic that T3 is directly translatable to the corporate pillars of performance, productivity, and profit. So now let's look at each of the three T's. And in a battleship fashion, I have a short sea story for each one of them. So you see here that teamwork is the base of the T3 triangle. Teamwork begins by building common understanding and a clear goal. A leader has many responsibilities, and one of the most important is building relationships, internally and externally. And those relationships support the mission of the organization. Because the result of relationships is trust, and the byproduct of the trust is loyalty. And loyalty to the team is the essence of workplace morale and achievement, whether you're wearing khakis, a suit, or casual wear at home. Read any Medal of Honor award. I've read all 3,520 of them. The one common theme that unites them all is that every soldier, sailor, airman, marine performed out of loyalty to their teammates. And we can bring back to me the camera for a moment. The best military teams that I was ever part of were those led by General Stan McChrystal in Southwest Asia and General Marty Dempsey when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Pentagon. They established a command climate where trust and loyalty at all echelons and individuals existed. And as a result, communications flowed and everyone understood the mission. We were all empowered at the edge. We were given assignments and we didn't have to ask permission to do things. And our bosses shouldered the risk so we could take prudent risks and fail on occasion. They had our backs and they were incredibly inclusive. They would always ask at any level of meeting, whether a video teleconference or other, what do you think? If they didn't know something, they'd ask for help. And if they made a mistake, they told everyone, that didn't work, let's try something else. Teamwork is especially important when two parties disagree. Because with teamwork, you have something to fall back upon, because you know the character of the other individual you're working with. And if you trust and are loyal with them, even if you have a professional disagreement, things won't devolve into civil discourse. And that's a good lesson for society today. Some final tips on teamwork. Best way to build teams, keep your word. Don't let there be a say-do mismatch. Use continuous culture clues 
to remind everybody what is the mission and what we are striving to achieve. As always part of my commander's intent, I included a panel on teamwork tone tenacity in a gold standard pamphlet. Everyone had a copy. It was the sheet of music that we all sang by. And now we can go back to the T3 slide, please. Thank you. You know, sometimes you never need to say a word to set a positive tone or mood or culture for an organization. Your actions, when seen by others, will just motivate and inspire. Look at those three fire department and New York heroes raising the flag in the rubble of the World Trade Center on 9-11. You could just as well use a photo there of frontline medical workers you know, at a New York City hospital this month. With good tone comes positive attitude. And with that comes a chain reaction of positive thoughts, events, and outcomes. It's my experience that great military leaders I've worked with are largely positive because they're confident. And I'm not talking about Ned Flanders from The Simpsons' Pollyannish positivity. I mean real-world uplifting actions that make you want to come to work every day. When those type leaders in the workplace, in uniform or in a suit, ask how you are, they mean it. They put others before self, as the SEALs constantly remind each other and us that in a crisis, calm begets calm, panic begets panic. And that's a key element of a leader's tone in the military or corporate workplace as well. Uh, back to me, the camera, please. Here's a great sea story about tone. Uh, on 9-11, I was on aircraft carrier Stennis, and we were operating off of the San Diego coast, preparing for what we thought would be a February deployment to the Middle East. That was obviously accelerated. But before we went, we had to pass an evaluation. So we had some evaluators fly on board, and all elements of our staff participated. Each one of them got a grade for how they did. Most of their grades went excellent, prepared for a combat deployment, until they got to the intelligence department, which I ran. And there my evaluator told my bosses, which included an admiral at the table in front of us, significant problems noted, not ready for a combat deployment. Uh, that wasn't the evaluation I was waiting to hear. And you could see people backing away from me <laughs> as if there was something horribly wrong with me compared to the rest of the staff. After the evaluation session was done and everyone filed out, two people stayed behind, Jim Zortman and Dave Nichols. They put their arm around me and said, you know, I think you did fine, Paul. You got to fix some problems, but we're ready to go to war with you. I love their tone. They made me feel successful. Even though I failed, they didn't make me feel like a failure. And leaders set that kind of tone, whether you're in the corporate sector or in uniform. Let's go back to that graphic, please, and we'll talk about tenacity. Tenacity is more than endurance. Right? Thomas Edison said that genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. There's no substitute for hard work to understand all aspects of an issue, from being involved to being visible to your people, even being visible virtually if you can't be there in person. Tenacious leaders communicate standards. 
right? It's perseverance with purpose. And if this is a final look at the triangle before we move on. I've used an equilateral triangle, but depending upon the situation you're in, it may be an isosceles triangle. And an organization may need to do more work on tone, like Mike Abershoff talked about yesterday, compared to the teamwork and tenacity which seem to already be there. So that's important. Let's come back to me. Thank you. The most tenacious leaders that I ever saw were junior to me, Colonel Annette Teresi and Master Chief Todd Schroeder. We all worked together when we arrived in Afghanistan in the summer of 2009. It was a time when U.S. forces were suffering setbacks and our organization was in disarray. But Annette and Todd placed the burden of taking on and solving our toughest unit problems ahead of their own comfort and ambition. They put others before self, and they worked tirelessly. Annette was all of about five foot one, and she resembled the chicken hawk from the Foghorn Leghorn cartoons. And she would often be up uh, for close talking uh, to let me or others know what needed to be done and how she wouldn't give up to get it done. And whether her and Todd went through, around, over, or underneath, they never accepted failure as an option. They found a way to succeed, right? Success was the imperative. Failure was never an option. That's tenacity. Let's go to one more slide, please. I think all of our greatest lessons come from failures and failures often outnumber our successes. I don't harp on them because they're part of prudent risk-taking and ultimate success. Here are a couple of citations on the topic, one from the father of the nuclear Navy, Admiral Rickover, and the other from Jedi Master Yoda. I'll let you determine which citation is attributed to which of them. And for my submarine or shipmates on this Zoom, I do not in any way mean to imply that Admiral Rickover resembles Yoda in any way, shape, or form. And bring the camera back, please. Tenacity is part of the T3 structure, which is also a great framework for life outside of uniform, outside of business. Here's another C story. On December 23rd, 2014, I was diagnosed with stage four bone marrow cancer. I didn't think I was in that much trouble because I told the doctor, well, we still have six stages to go until we reach stage 10, right? He said, no, there is no stage five. Well, that got my attention. And I needed a framework to hold on to in a completely new environment, building teams with medical professionals, generating my own morale, even when we were having bad days, and being tenacious to want to get through. My wife, Kim, and I, made sure of that, right? And the doctors were just as tenacious as they are today at frontline medical units. So T3, framework in uniform, in the workplace, or in your personal life as well. One final slide. Right in the late 1700s, early 1800s, Admiral Lord Horatio Nelson called his frontline captains 
of his sailing ships of the lines, entrepreneurs of battle. And that's what we all are today, especially during a crisis like this. His guidance to those captains in time of crisis was, no captain can do very wrong if he places his ship alongside that of the enemy. And we could bring the, the camera back here, please. I think the greatest example of bringing your ship alongside that of the enemy right now that I've seen in social media is Jeff Hazlett and the C-Suite Network. Okay, During time of crisis, he hasn't recoiled. The network hasn't shrunk back. In fact, it's gone forward. It's brought itself alongside the enemy, and it's engaged. And that's a powerful message for every one of us with every one of our businesses as we seek to dominate our market. And now for the two words you've really been waiting to hear. In conclusion, with that, uh, I'll emphasize T3 is a framework that I learned in the military that's helped my business dominate its market, but it's a never-ending mission. And thanks to friends and networks like these, we will be successful. C-Suite Radio. Thank you, Admiral. We thank you so much. And by the way, I want to also thank you for your service, all that you've given this country. We certainly appreciate it. Um, it was also interesting that you ended with Admiral Lord Nelson. I just actually just got through reading an entire um, book on the Battle of Gibraltar. And uh, when we think about naval battles, that one lasted for a great deal of time and took them all day just to position their boats. And the, the, the strength of character that they had to do in order to win that battle was amazing. My first question for you, uh, Admiral, and then we're going to open up for questions here in a, few, in a few minutes. And so get those questions in. And by the way, grab yourself some coffee. I'm actually drinking Nixie coffee, N-I-X-I-E. So go to www.nixie. Uh, I never miss a good chance for a good plug. Okay. So I'm going to do that. Uh, they're one of our members and it's, I mean, great coffee, unbelievable coffee. Um, what, you know, we, we, we were talking just a few minutes ago, you were talking about the three T's. If you had to pick a fourth leadership pillar, a fourth T, what would that be? Hmm. I'd have to change to a square to add a fourth T. Uh, <laughs> I glossed over it too quickly, but T for trust. Mm. And trust is a structural wall support to teamwork, yeah. right? Without trust, teams are not great because trusts result in loyalty and loyalty amongst teamworks because of trust makes them better. There have no doubt been one-hit wonder teams that were successful, but I dare say that was because of talent. The teams that were great for long periods of time had trust and loyalty to each other. But because I'm a fiscal conservative, if I add something, Jeff, I'd like to subtract something. So if I add a T into the equation, I'd like to subtract another letter in the alphabet, and that would be the letter Y. And this is a great lesson for teamwork. Take away the letter Y from the word your, and it becomes our. And that's an empowering word for any team. Think about that, leaders, in your correspondence, in your verbal deliveries. Take out your, substitute our, okay? It makes everyone invested, included the speaker, 
And that's a very powerful concept. That's an excellent point. And by the way, you talk about trust. Later this week, we've got uh, Dr. Gary McGrath, Captain McGrath, retired Army captain, and he's going to be talking about I Got Your Back uh, leadership. And so that's going to be a great, great tie-in for that. And of course, Bob Pizzini is going to be joining us as well, uh, former Naval EOD, um, which will be great to have him talking as well. Now, let me ask you a second question. Are there any books that you would recommend to C-suite members read to improve their T3 leadership skills? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to teamwork, um, if you haven't read it yet, I'd recommend The Hero Factor. This is not oh, rehearsed, gosh. but here's why. Oh, thank you. <laughs> here's, here's one sentence executive uh, summary, right? When it comes to leadership and teamwork, it's not a choice between people or profit. It's both, right? So it's mission first, people always, but there's a virtuous cycle that comes with them. So that's a great one on teamwork. When it comes to tone, uh, I'm always inspired by a book called uh, uh, Thoughts of a Philosophical Fighter Pilot. And it's a collection of essays and speeches from Vice Admiral Jim Stockdale, Medal of Honor winner, senior Mm. POW in uh, Vietnam. And uh, he talks uh, about how a leader has to provide their own morale in the most dire circumstances. And then when it comes to, to tenacity, uh, I'd emphasize a couple of real words, world stories, a tie for first. Uh, either Undaunted Courage, which is the saga of the Lewis and Clark expedition, or Endurance, which was the name of the ship of the failed Shackleton expedition to Antarctica. Yeah. In each case, the leaders, Uh, did incredible things under incredible circumstances and brought all of their teammates back to where they started successfully. I got another question for you. Yesterday, Commander Abershoff um, called them cave dwellers. I call them, you know, agents of no or captains of no. What leadership tools do, do you use to get someone in the organization that just doesn't want to go there, doesn't want to contribute? Yeah. Uh, I'll give them a third name, Jeff. Vicious compliers. And they (laughs) practice vicious compliance. Um, They'll do something, but their heart won't be in it. Uh, Even worse, they may try and sabotage an effort. Uh, It's a difficult leadership challenge in uniform and in the private sector as well. I try to marginalize those folks, but only after we have a good face-to-face conversation about what the team is trying to achieve. Here's how we see your contributions. Why are you that way? Is there something we can do? If we've exhausted every option to try and improve an individual's performance or outlook, and they're still a vicious complier, that's when I'd marginalize them. If they can be removed, then I would have them removed. If not, and they need to remain under the umbrella of the organization, I just put them in an area where they have the least interaction and the least responsibility with others, so it doesn't become a cancer that metastasizes. 
Awesome. Hey, Trish, I wonder if we could go to a couple questions that might be from the members. I've got a whole list more, but I know we've got time and I've got a second admiral on deck, which is awesome. It's not often you get to see two admirals on deck, uh, but that's awesome to be able to have that. So, Trisha, what about questions from our team? I, so I have a couple quick questions and I'll go through them as quickly as I can, Paul, because we do have short time, but um, we have a question from uh, Hero Club member, uh, Rob Baer, and he's asking how you demonstrated and deployed excellent leadership programs and practices uh, in the Navy and, and what are those best practices that you would share? Uh, the best practices that, that I'd like to share is that your teammates always want to get constant feedback. Uh, Even if they don't want it, I would make sure they have the option to receive it, right? So this way people know how they're doing and they could be responsive, you could be responsive. One can't over-communicate, especially in time of crisis. And one of my maxims, Tricia, is responsiveness equals respect. Right. So if someone sends you an email or gives you a request, you don't have to drop what you're doing to respond immediately, but you show them that you're valuing their time and input by getting back with them in a timely enough fashion in a meaningful way, rather than just send, okay, thanks on an email, Mm -hmm. take an extra two seconds to say, I appreciate that. It's really valuable. Thank you. Boom. That may be a short-term solution, but you keep that going. And how many times has anyone sent uh, a colleague, a boss, uh, an email, and you don't get anything back and you wonder how you're doing? Well, that demotivates me. It disincentivizes me. Someone writes me back that that's valuable. I'm going, I want to send them more. I want to contribute more to the team. Absolutely. I think that answers uh, Laura Minas' uh, question as well. So uh, thank you, Laura, for that, because she wanted to know about technology and tonality. So just in 30 seconds, what do you do when you're asking, and this is from Ray Kober, another one of our Hero Club members, what do you do when they when your team just has nothing more to give and you want to just ask mm-hmm. them, and 20 seconds or less, ask them to give that just you know another 10% more or <laughs> that more than they think they're capable of giving? Bring up an example that may resonate with them, whether it's the story of Lewis and Clark, whether it's the story of frontline medical workers, you know, how they overcame extreme adversity and they put others before self. You could go back to books as old as the Bible and as current as anything on the Hero Club reading list. I think think Paul uh, just happened to freeze at that moment, but the point was clear. Pick a story that will resonate and motivate and drive them. So, Jeff, back to you. I know we have more great content. Well, we do. You know, it's not often that we have this depth of leadership that we're able to bring. And listen, we like to really go big and go strong. And we've certainly done that with Admiral Becker uh, to lead off today with a keynote and a very special one talking about the three T's of leadership. It was awesome. I've had a chance to seeing him on stage before, and it was great to have him on our virtual stage right here for Battleship Forum as part of this great C-Suite Network leadership series. C-Suite Radio. My next guest is Cindy Thebold, also a retired Rear Admiral who graduated from the Naval War College, was deployed in the Atlantic and Pacific fleets, talking about being a great leader 
Pivoting in Times of Turmoil, and the Difference Between Management and Leadership. Cindy, good to have you here. And, and thank you so much, Cindy, for all that you've done for in, in the service of this country. Thanks so much, Jeff. You know, I'm really excited to be here because I have such a passion about talking with people about the military, helping them learn and understand what we do and what our leadership lessons are and our management lessons. But, you know, equally important in this day and age, helping people understand who and what our military people are. And, you know, whether they serve for four or five years or a career and then transition out, what our military can also bring to the workforce, both as just general members and as leaders. Because I think, I really do think there are a lot of similarities despite the obvious differences. Um, Just a couple things before we start with your questions, if you don't mind, just things that have come to mind. For me, over listening to both Paul and Mike, both of whom I look to as great, great leaders, you know, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise for people, or hopefully it's not, to hear so many overlapping themes between what Mike, Michael said, what Paul talked about, and what I'll talk about. And it's not because we coordinated that ahead of time. Um, it really is because these are the things that we focus on in the Navy about good, well-executed, great leaders. And the things that we have all seen make a difference in great ships, great commands, great organizations, whether they're operational or shore-based support organizations. And the other thing I'd like to do, and I hope you'll bear with me, is give a shout out to Michael and thank him yesterday because, you know, continuous learning and we practice it in the military and it's important to practice it in the both personal and professional business sectors. And he brought home a point to me is you never know when you're going to have an impact on someone. And it's frequently the little things you do that you don't even think about that make a difference downstream. And it just reinforces how important our personal conduct and our personal actions and the interest we take in our line of work, whatever it may be, for even the most junior person, you know, what an impact that they can have. I can't tell you that I necessarily remember that Mike was my assignment officer that he talked about. But because I was too not young and naive to understand that then. But I can tell you that he was right. He, he paid attention to a young officer that he had no need to pay attention to. And that ship he sent me to for my second ship really gave me the start that got me hooked and interested in continuing on with a career in the Navy. And I had a wonderful CEO, commanding officer, that we all love to hate. And I say wonderful because I didn't really realize until after I left the ship, just what an incredible leader that individual was, but he wasn't approachable. He had wonderful, terrific, innovative ideas. He had no hesitancy to push the rope up uphill, as we call it, and come up with new and innovative ways to accomplish a mission with the ship that was the oldest ship in the Navy was commissioned in 1939 and had been in continuous service for nearly 50 years at that point. 
but we held him in great esteem, but we weren't comfortable talking to him. And something was lost through that. And that's something that I continue to take through without with my career. And I think that's applicable everywhere. When I talk to friends in business, we have similar conversations about those sorts of things. So as I said, uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I look forward to our discussion. Thank you, Admiral, very much. And uh, I know you're you're enjoying Norfolk. I wish we were all there in Norfolk uh, with you. And that it's it's funny you're there, and here we are, and we were hoping to be with you there. So it's just awesome to be able to have that. And Mike, when I when I actually uh, for the audience, how we find one another, I I start calling around the different flag officers, different officers about you know who should we have, so forth. And it started with Mike, and um, called Mike, and then I knew uh, Admiral Becker, and I said, Admiral. I, who can I have that's a dynamic leader that's also at your same rank? And he said, uh, Cindy, right away, which is awesome. And then in my conversations with Mike right after that, I, I mentioned your name and he just lit up on the phone and said, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for her getting her Admiral <laughs> and so forth. It was just, it was great to be able to see that. And you know, that's a true story in that's the same in the corporate world as it is for military, the way in which we network inside the organization. Isn't that important as well in the military? It really is, Jeff. When we talk about teamwork and how to position your organization for success, you need to know who you can call on. For us, who is that ship across the pier that I know when I'm an extremist, that CEO is gonna support me with the things, the people, the assistance I need. Um, you know, another thing that Mike talked about that I think also applies at the department head level, we are all in competition. At the commanding officer ship level, we are all in competition. But I had a boss when I was in command of my ship who really emphasized as, um, as Michael's did, we're only going to be successful if we're all successful. Yeah. And we need to work together. And I think that's a difficult concept to translate into business where there is a fiscal and product competitiveness. But again, how can you work with people within and how can you network with people in similar and varying organizations so that you can mutually achieve the greatest, best success for everyone? I have to ask you a question, and this is not a, a female-male thing. And I know sometimes I watch some of my brethren in the media talk uh, to CEOs who happen to be women, or in this case, an admiral who happens to be a woman. They always want to ask you the female question, you know, uh, is it different, uh, uniquenesses, and so forth. And, you know, in the C-suite, we do balance as much as we can um, people of color, sex, everything. We try to balance as much as we can just so we have a diversity and inclusive uh, program. But I'm not going to ask you a question about what it's like to be a, a, you know, an admiral who happens to be a female. I'd rather ask you what, what it takes to make a, what, what, it, what makes to be a great leader? That's what I'd rather ask you. Well, there's so much. That's really a loaded question, Jeffrey. There's so much that, goes into that. And as you said, I am often frequently asked, you know, what's it like to be a female leader? And I think a big part of it is recognizing, as you just alluded to, that it's not about being male or female. It's not about being black or white. It's not about being you know, that old gray beard fuddy-duddy or this young punk kid. It's about what does the individual 
bring to the organization and respecting the importance and understanding the importance of diversity in team. If we all look alike and think the same way, we're gonna get this dangerous mind meld. But if we have somebody that's diametrically opposed to who or what we are, they're gonna bring very different levels of perspective. When I was in command, my number two, we call my our executive officer, uh, the first guy came up to me and said, geez, ma'am, you know, I'm so sorry that I didn't see everything the way you did and I gave you a lot of pushback. And I said to him, you don't understand, that was the most important thing you did for me, yeah. was to help me see things from a different perspective because we're all, process, we're all products of our own backgrounds and experiences and literature we've plunged through. But especially in today's world, you can't get through everything. Right. Uh, so I think that's one of the others. But like both Michael and Paul have talked about, you know, it all comes down to being able to imbue in your team a sense of wanting to accomplish a common goal for a common good. And there are so many things that goes into that, but being the influencer in a constructive manner to achieve, bring a group of people to achieve a common goal. We talk about management and leadership. Now, management is the process of running an organization, making sure the right things are being done right and that all the attention to detail and administration. But the leader is who hones. The, the product of what the program is and brings the passion, the conviction, and the teamwork into the process. Of course, it goes, you, yeah, go ahead, finish well, up your comment. Of course, it goes with all the underpinnings. You've got to have, have vision. You have to be entrepreneurial. You need to be able to focus on the task at hand. You need to be able to prioritize. But a lot of those things are also, you know, all part of the management equation. If I could borrow a military term, I think right now, if we look at business right now, it is foobar. It is, uh, and I won't, I won't say, I don't want to get any red marks like I normally do for the things I say sometimes on stage and uh, when I get bleeped, but it's, it's foobar. It, it is, uh, we've had to pivot. Every, everybody on, that's right here on this screen, all these screens that we have here, uh, uh, Brady Bunch screens, we've all had to pivot in some way, shape, or form. I'm sure there's been times that you've had to pivot in your career and in, in the military in terms of situations. Can you give us an example of how you've been, had, how you had to regroup and refocus? Actually, I have both a personal and a professional one that I'll cover. I'd like to cover the professional one first, but before that, don't worry. We in the military understand FUBAR too. Okay. You don't have to corner on that market. <laughs> um, the one I go back to and I use over and over again from when it occurred in, um, in 2010, I was running a multinational operation with an ad hoc team brought together with a bunch of people, staff from both Afri West African navies and coast guards, European navies and coast guards, and then a cod small cadre of people from the US. So very, very di diverse group, different prominent languages, though speaking English to some level was a prerequisite. And our mission was to go to West Africa and work with participating nations at their request on helping to build and develop their maritime security 
capacities, particularly maritime law enforcement, sort of our Coast Guard mission, but parallel skill sets of, you know, whether it's things, some of the things we do in the Navy and some of the things the Coast Guard does. We'd taken this team from where I was based in Europe to Norfolk. We'd embarked a big amphibious ship that was going to be our training and education platform, all set to head east to West Africa. And the earthquake in Haiti occurred. And we pivoted. Not at all something that we had even thought about in terms of our branches and sequels on our, our mission plan. And it goes and it reforces me. We went back and looked, what are our basics? We have a plan, a mechanism for operational planning. So we use that to create a new plan going forward. We have a mechanism for operational leadership teams. Now, normally that's your direct re reports. In my case, I had to bring in some very, very junior people because I had gotten to know them and knew their capabilities. And those young men and women, although they had never been tested in this kind of environment, had the skill sets and the knowledge we needed. And it gave trust and confidence to the team to see us be able to pivot, communicate the changes and objectives, have a planning team that came together synchronously and that the leadership was willing to take inputs, avid to take inputs from people that weren't usually at that leadership level. And what a sense of empowerment and commitment and desire to contribute. And I had many of the African staff saying afterwards, ma'am, you know, I was really hesitant. I thought my country was gonna say no when we had to get permission from the countries for the individuals to get involved and go ashore in Haiti. And they said, this was so much better an experience than you know, what we get got. I learned a lot with the training and education in maritime security, but my gosh, this unexpected pivot is truly what I'm gonna take away from, from us. And we had failures. We had times when we, and those were where some of our greatest lessons were. We had to regroup. Like, this didn't work. Yeah. What do we change? How do we go forward? And that feedback loop is very, very important. Uh, my other personal story, like Paul, I was diagnosed when I was in a pretty critical job. It wasn't stage four, but with a pretty significant cancer situation. And I was in a leadership position. And how do you move forward and balance those things? And again, it's going back to the basics, going back to the fundamentals. What are your core values that make you who you are and what you are? And when you're in the churn of turmoil, it can be so easy to forget that. And just forcing yourself to go back to what are our basics? And those are the things that help when you're having to turn around any organization as well. So those are the few of the things that I try to keep in mind. C-Suite Radio. Well, thank you, Admiral. And I tell you what, with the time we have left, I like to go back to our co-host, Trisha Ben. Trisha is our GM for the Hero Club and one of my partners, along with my co-founder, uh, 
uh, Carl Post. And so I just want to turn over to Tradition and get a couple of audience questions. We have some phenomenal questions. The uh, the I'm going to start with one, and, and I'm going to try and get through these as quickly as possible and kind of join them together a little bit. So Rachel Headley is one of our Hero Club members. She says, how do you prepare your people to go from normal to a potentially overwhelming environment and keep everyone together instead of sort of pulling apart? Communication. Communication. <laughs> communication and more communication and even more communication mm-hmm. um, on a ship for example we put out what we call a plan of the day and it lists what's going on and notices and importance we also have what we call quarters where we bring people together at various levels in the in the um, organization and talk to them about what the expectations and requirements are for the day and what's going to be happening within the ship and we have a loudspeaker system where people can get on. I keep that always to a very low level of use unless there's something super important. But using all these mechanisms multiple times and ensuring your leadership is channeled with the same types of messaging and that you have a mechanism to receive feedback because from your level, you may be missing really important elements. And it goes back to this, you know, If a leader isn't approachable, if people are afraid to bring you bad news or to say, boss, we've got to regroup and relook, you've got a big problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell you you from the chat, Cindy, the response to what you're saying is just tremendous. And I'm going to combine uh, Tina Greenbaum's, one of our thought council members in C-Suite Network and Madeline Ross. And and there's, there's this whole thing of, you know, how you've talked about sharing responsibility and and allowing people to own what they want to do going forward. And Tina pointed out, you know, you mentioned six countries that did better that had women leaders or overrepresentation of women leaders. And and um, Madeline was asking, how do you how do you deal with sort of systemic bias or that gender bias that can get in the way? And there are obviously many forms of bias, but would love to just get a little bit more insight in terms of what you think it is and the leadership qualities maybe that that are um, being pulled out in those examples and then also how you handle it as an issue with your with your teams. My personal experience, and I have seen this reflected in many other places, is being genuine. Having empathy for your team and respect for people regardless of what their backgrounds and perspectives are. My personal example, uh, really the only first I had in our Navy, I was the first woman to go be the chief engineer, engineer officer on a gas turbine on a combat ship. And lots of people on that ship said, oh my gosh, we can't have a woman doing that. We're gonna fall apart. My captain admitted to me, he had his colleagues saying, Brad, you're bringing a woman in? And our senior enlisted, who's the hot top technical person, said, man, I got to tell you, I was really antsy about all this thing. And he ended up being my greatest advocate. And this isn't all about me, but it's about how do you establish credibility and credentials? And it's working with and talking to and listening to the people you work with and that work for you and helping them to understand that you're there to be a part of the team, everybody as much as you are. You're passionate about your job. 
you may not know it all or have all the answers, but you're going to work to figure it out. And just being a professional in your environment, it doesn't make it easy, but I think that helps set the tenor and the tone that you are, and it goes back to Paul's, teamwork and tenacity. You're a team player and you have the tenacity to keep pushing through because you're there as a professional member of the team. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. And then how you, you know, you, you're, you're breaking through, you're cutting new ground. And then, and then how you apply that going forward. I'm, I'm so curious about that because at the end of the day, the diversity inclusion piece that Jeffrey mentioned earlier at C-Suite Network, we're so committed to. The fact of the matter is, what I love about it is we all have the things that make us different. Every mm-hmm. single one of yep. us. And those are potential strengths. So, so maybe if you want to just wrap us up with what, how you bring out those strengths, how you address that in the, you know, in the generations that follow us, um, and how we can kind of root out the systemic problems that limit <laughs> the options and the, and the greatness that we can achieve together. It's hard. I mean, if you have a repository of an undercurrent that has a sense of negativity it is hard. Make no, you know, make no mistake about it. But a couple of things we do in the Navy are having anonymous feedback questionnaires and surveys. And that helps leadership identify because we de-aggregate the data, but you know, we can look back with some certain fields, but get a sense of what the issues and concerns are and get feedback. Now, a lot of people don't like anonymous feedback but it can be very, very helpful. And one plate, one example is with the Naval Academy. The superintendent there, uh, we are required at, at our service academies, at military universities, to do anonymous surveys about pertaining to diversity, inclusion, sexual and, and racial harassment, and then brief them publicly. And the superintendent convened a, a cohort of university presidents and, and CEOs And they said, we could never do this. How in the world do you do that? Well, we have to. And that's the only way we're going to improve. And if people are fearful about retribution, give their voice an opportunity to be heard. And we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But what works for your organization to move forward? And I really thought that was a very powerful statement by the superintendent. So. I love that. And I think it's, uh, it speaks to one of the qualities that uh, you have to have as a great leader, which is also just courage, right? That Because yes. there's nothing more vulnerable than an executive or the leader opening up that vulnerable place. <laughs> um, Jeff, oh, sorry. Well, I just want to say, and then you need to be willing to take those issues and move them forward. I think yesterday we were talking about, and Jeff was saying, an idea without action is just an idea. Yes. And if you do something like that type of survey, but then don't act on it, it is, it's a setback rather than a move forward. Right, so right. That's sort of the final caveat. Well, thank you very much, Admiral. We appreciate it. We thank you so much. This was just been a great program. You know, I, I can't wait until we're past the point in time where we don't care about someone's color, someone's sex, someone's age 
when it comes to leadership, because truly today uh, we were on equal footing with two great rear admirals, two great Americans who are serving our country and then providing great leadership uh, insight, you know, battle-tested leadership. Uh, it, it's just amazing. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.